0: I'm George Comiti and you're listening to First Watch. Today is the fourth and final episode from our series recorded live at RSA 2022. My guest today is Ryan Renee Rosado. She's an up and coming voice in the cybersecurity community but her newness on the larger stage belies her 10 years in cyber. She got her start in the Air Force and has gone on with stints at EY and now Optiv. It was such a joy to hear Ryan's origin story, one which is very much about overcoming others' expectations, and to understand her unique take on cybersecurity education and her first experience at RSA, with an additional reflection point from after the conference, so be sure to stay tuned after the first interview. I don't want to give everything away, so let's get into it with Ryan Renee Rosado. Ryan Renee Rosado, welcome to First Watch.
1: Uh, Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm looking forward to this.
0: Yes, I am just so happy that we can meet in person and I get to like see all the clubhouse people outside of their avatars. (laughs) They're like (laughs) real humans that occupy three-dimensional space. Um, But yeah, let's start where we should begin, which is your origin story. Uh, Always curious how people got into cyber usually ends up being more circuitous than they imagine but if you want to share how we got in and then we'll we'll go on from there
1: yeah you know i always i always like to start with like before right like Mm -hmm. set the foundation so born and raised in new york on long island uh lindenhurst new york
0: the strong island
1: strong island yeah. and and actually i i left right after hurricane sandy um so um literally strong island but um no i i growing up i never really got into computers much more than like using it for mm-hmm. aol and i did get to <laughs> do like typing class in kindergarten and again in like middle school um i joke that i think it was the 11th grade i was making my schedule and i wanted to do i considered programming mm-hmm. and for some reason i thought i was actually too old like if i wanted to get into computers i don't even know if cybersecurity was exactly a word back then i'm sure it was but i don't know if it was in my world yet um, I just remember being like, I should have started in the ninth grade. Like it seemed like such a, <laughs> such a delayed thing, actually. Like I'm should have done this when I was 14, not 16. It's too late. I've missed the mark. I really felt that way at the time. And I was almost like, dang it. Um, do you
0: have a sense of why you might've felt that way? But yeah. I, I do,
1: I, I looking back at the time, I don't think I did, but well, I, I think looking back, um, and I think our culture does this thing where we really force young people to pick what they're going to do before they really have explored the world. Agree. And uh, we almost incentivize really young kids like on career days who are consistently like, yeah, I want to be this before they understand anything like real about what that job really is like, what is required to get into any of these roles as far as training or education and You know, that's why I'm, my biggest thing now is, is I used to be a planner. I I used to, I think, try to plan the rest of my life before it really started. And now I I still say, I don't know, because I don't want to be married or commit to something when something I don't even know that exists might, might become a thing in a year or two. And that might be the next best thing. And I could be a rock star at it.
0: Yeah, I, I also was a, a planner as a kid. It felt like you had like the, I, if I do this step, then yeah. and you had like the logical progression. And after, you know, life kicked my ass a yeah. little bit. I, I, I think I now tell people that I have ideas instead of plans because it's like plans are sort of oh, predi- interesting. Pre- predicated on. Ideal circumstances which you can't necessarily control. Well,
1: well, and I would love to just respond to that and say, well, one, um, I tell people that I have a plan, and while almost none of my big plans have gone as planned, at least I had a direction to move mm-hmm. towards. Yep. Right? Because um, I don't want to circle the drain or just not, I don't want to be stagnant. Right. Um, in, in a way, even though I plan for so many other things. Um, obviously it did get me here. So while this wasn't exactly the destination that was part of the plan, like very thankful for the detour. Yeah. But you can't get on the detour if you didn't have like a road you you were on. Right, You
0: got to have a, uh, you mentioned air force before we started recording. You have to have a a bearing at at a bare minimum, right? right? You got to have to direction, but sorry, I interrupted. So,
1: um,
0: you felt late to programming
1: but I didn't do it. Okay. I didn't do it. And then I even did um, robotics. I got into that club in senior, uh, my senior year of high school because they needed help fundraising. And I was just a very social, happy, like involved extracurriculars and helped a lot with fundraising. And um, none of the guys would let me touch the robot. They wouldn't like teach me engineering. <laughs> and again, kind of to your to your question before, right? Like it was this culture of like, girls really can't do technical work. Um, you know, And if I could go back, this is the, one of the few things I would change because ironically out of everyone that was in that group and they meant well, like I'm friends with them. It's one of the strongest bonds I have. Um, I kind of think that if I had been more confident in myself or really believed like I could do this and I had pushed harder, that I would have. Mm-hmm. And I would have proved them wrong. Um, but I kind of, again, I bought into this from a young age about um, and growing up, I always struggled with science and math. Um, It's not that I was bad at it, it just took me longer. And Mm -hmm. art history and and writing just came so natural to me that I I was always told, oh, well girls are better in those things because we, I don't know, use our brain differently or whatever. Um, And I, I just was, and so that's why I hate, I try not to tell anybody regardless, especially children, Anything, anything, whether it's academ- academics or sports or no, the world is your oyster, and if you want to, you can do it. Right, right. Like just because you're a girl doesn't mean anything, um, except that you can do whatever you want. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's senior high school, and and in my um, lunch periods at that awesome high school, they would let recruiters and very few other like college recruiters or, or and the like come in maybe quarterly. And mm-hmm. so in the tenth grade, I went to. Uh, lunch and there was a marine recruiter he really was the first one that opened my eyes to the possibility of joining the military um that idea marinated in my mind I think and actually on my 18th birthday um there was an air force recruiter and he ended up being my recruiter and and I had just kind of realized like poor kid from New York as much as I had planned for college student loans was just not going to be in my future anytime soon and um, the idea of serving my country actually really was something I, I realized I wanted to do and, and I, well, um, I got there and I was told I couldn't do cyber cause I was a woman, but, um, and that I could do public relations or public health, but I did stay in cyber. Um, I, I really would like to believe and, and from what I know, the military is getting better with that. And mm-hmm. I believe that little boys club is if, if, if it even exists anymore, that it's really, on its last leg, um, and I—I
0: think, in truth, the demand for personnel has exceeded whatever
1: attitudes. Uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> I mean, they just need—they need, they need I, people to do I it. I also so. think
1: cybersecurity is so much different, even from ten years ago. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I think culturally, that—that that it is just—I think the culture is actually now leading, where in the past I think the technology was leading, and the and the need That's for the. That's a good tech. point. Yeah, and my experience, especially networking, I'm a people person, right? Um, mm-hmm. I love people, and, and I don't do this because I love shiny boxes and wires. Right. I do this because of the people that are affected in it, it by by all of it, whether in the Air Force and, and you know, we're protecting our country. Or, um, you know, I have clients, if they're a hospital, the patients, you know, things like that actually really break my heart when I read about how mm-hmm. a hospital would be hit by ransomware and, and how some patients have... Really been affected by it,
0: yeah, I mean, I think you need that mission ethos because cyber can be a real drag sometimes, and yeah. if, if you don't have a larger sense of purpose it it can just feel um, like you're asked to do a lot, you take on a lot of responsibility when things go wrong, people <laughs> look at those teams and I, th-
1: I, I think that people sometimes it's not that it's not a mission driven organization. I just think that sometimes people. I don't want to say short-sighted but i think sometimes people just almost forget like it's easy to literally get lost in the ones and zeros yeah. because we're not doctors. we don't see our patient firsthand struggling mm-hmm. right we're in a sock and we don't have the pictures of whether the patients or the um people trying to access their funds on their bank so they can pay for something or even entertainment i mean we we all work hard so we can play hard so to speak so we don't necessarily think of you know, people who can't watch their TV or play video games because there's a DDoS attack. And, and while that might sound trivial, like that's the part of life I think that we need to remember is why we're doing it. You're um, the end user. Yeah. And, you know, I would say like, gee, I wonder when it's going to happen when a hacker... Who wasn't involved in an attack. Like maybe we have a hacker that does something somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, this hacker tries to go, let's say, use his or her bank account and it's like, oh, there's been a cybersecurity. <laughs> like I'm waiting for the day that there's some this, like this, hackers come yeah. out and complain that they have finally been affected. That there's that many attacks mm-hmm. that the hackers are like, Oh man, why am I doing this? Like, this is awful.
0: <laughs> this this the snake starts eating its tail. It's, we're, <laughs> we're there
1: though. There were so many attacks. Like, I mean, there's gotta be a hacker that lived in the United States and like saw the gas pipeline last year and was probably the first thought was like, man, I should have thought of that. And the second thought was like, this sucks. My gas prices right now are not well, and even now. Right. right. But, you know, I would hope that like the hacking community is going to kind of get that rude awakening with the taste of their own medicine. But, Um, I do want to get really quick back to it. So I think we got up to the Air Force with my story. So even though I was told many times and pretty quickly that um, I couldn't do cyber because I was a woman, I mean, the government and the way the Air Force is set up is it's not luckily is like, oh, so-and-so said this and boom, this happened. Mm -hmm. They very much were like, well, like we have invested in this person. So they, we are going to get our return on investment. Like I will stay regardless of what any of my then leadership, which by the way, is completely out now said and thought, um, I did stay in, uh, my first was, um, I was on a defensive mission and I was a liaison to the air force Operations center, which was an awesome, awesome mission to be a part of, especially at a young age. Um, and just to kind of go back and and make sure I kind of square out the details, I became an air force Intel analyst, so Mm -hmm. I could have gone into a wide range of, um, Intel missions, not just cyber, but I got really lucky with cyber. Um, and then once you kind of got into cyber, I mean, some people in the Air Force could have went to one cyber intel mission and then a different one. And I ended up also, because again, we kind of talked about people, right? We needed more cyber people. So once you got into cyber, like you pretty much stayed. And so then I did have um, another cyber mission, a little bit more offensive recon reporting. Um, I still was told I couldn't do cybersecurity because I was a woman and an extrovert. Um, but I finally started to wake up and realize that no one ever like. Disagreed or um, really penalized me or gave me any like corrective feedback about my writing and report. I was actually told I was a great technical writer. Um, And so, as much as I originally thought I would stay in the Air Force, I realized that I just felt like it just was obviously boxing me in and I just didn't get the right, I didn't get dealt the right cards. It's still a wonderful opportunity. Mm -hmm. I still met people outside of my direct chain of command that are great mentors or friends to this day and, and being a part of the veterans network is a blessing. I never ever thought of at the time. Like I obviously was so focused in the moment and, and now like it's just one of my, my greatest networking and affiliations in, in so many ways. I just love to be a part of it and, and you just never know when you might just meet another veteran and there's a special connection there. But um, anyway, I got out and I went to Ernst and Young and That definitely has been one of the highlights of my career. No. So um, I got there and ended up working with some of the same people that were in the, my first mission because they were reservists. Uh So when they weren't, um, you know, doing their military duty, they actually worked at Ernst and Young's intelligence team. And um, after about just maybe about 10 months, I was doing a feedback Mm -hmm. session. I said, you know, I've obviously been doing technically Intel for five, five years now between the air force and here and. I mean, it's important. It's great. It's my foundation, but I really want to learn so much more about cybersecurity and get experience, be a little bit more well-rounded. You know, I, I'm not sure I want to be a 30-year careerist in just intel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really fortunate that UI gave me that ability to do work with the team that did assessments for a variety, you know, of sectors. Uh, work with the IR team, work with the security operations um, SOC analysts. We, you know, help with even the business development side of the EY Cyber Center. Um, got to work with a wide range of people, too. I wasn't just then on one team. Um, and it was a fast learning curve. Um, and every now and then I'd be like, why am I doing this to myself? But then mm-hmm. I'd get in it, and I just loved it. It's kind of like a workout. You're always like the first steps, the hardest, like, oh, man, do I really want to go for a run at 6 right. in the morning? <laughs> but then you do, and you're like, oh, that's awesome. Maybe I'll sign up for a 10K. Um, and that's kind of how it felt. Um, and I look back, and I probably I had landed on a team in, in – my third year there. And I probably could have done it for forever, but due to some of the changes and whatnot, I kind of felt a, a little bit pigeonholed. Like I had EY had kind of been like, okay, you had your fun, mm-hmm. pick a team, pick a lane. And I was like, why can't I just be like on three teams? Like I'm good in all of these areas. Um, but I also felt like I wasn't getting the right training anymore. Like I was, you know, they, they were growing as a company too. And an opportunity came to go to Avanade and I really wanted to learn about the cloud. Um, So I went there and um, definitely got a lot of great experience. Concurrently, while I did this, I also... um, I started my degree when I was in the Air Force in true disaster management. So hurricanes and Mm -hmm. wildfires and real man-made, like whether intentional or unintentional. Um, And it wasn't until I was getting out of the Air Force that when I realized this this light bulb went off, like I remember the day it went off and I said, I really can do cyber. I'm going to get out. And if I'm in a job interview and they're like, well, why don't you get your degree in cyber? I'm probably, I probably should get my degree in cyber. So I tried to find also the most technical program I could because I felt like I was more strategy compliance. And I don't think I realized actually how technical I was at the time, but I found a great online program at Utica and I called and basically did everything I had to for admissions. And they were just like, I remember someone was like, so what are you doing? And I was like, I'm gonna do both. I'm gonna do my one degree over here at the State University of New York and finish it in disaster management. And Mm -hmm. then I'm also gonna do my degree in cybersecurity at the same time. And um, I had a lot of people both between the two colleges and also friends and family and mentors be like, why are you doing that? What are you doing? And I was just like, I'm telling you, okay, one day, like it's unfortunate, but like someone's gonna hack our electric grid and like a hospital is gonna like lose power, and like patients are gonna need power, and it's not just the cyber team. Like you're gonna need someone who like speaks FEMA or speaks physical security, mm-hmm. and like now, as much as I've been saying I want to be a CISO, I'm like maybe I want to be a, just a chief security officer. Like I mean, I I've had to study half of my cybersecurity degree was criminal justice. I had to do everything from criminology and the law, and and man, I, murders and I don't know, you just named the crime, right? Because yeah. they saw it as cybersecurity, just another way of crime. Instead of a, a gun with, you know, at a right. bank, like, give me all the cash and put it in the bag. It's, you know, hacking with a keyboard. Well, with the disaster management, I've done everything from terrorism and, and oh God, uh, just so many things. Her, every hurricane or flood or everything over the last 100 years. And I'm kind of like, wow, you know, I look back and I remember all these people doubting my thoughts and of course who goes and gets two totally different college degrees at two totally different colleges um but i'm so proud of myself for like sticking to my gut
0: (laughs) you should be i I feel like in that story there's a lot of um i don't want to say necessarily seizing the opportunity it's sort of saying yes and right like you you were able to uh parlay your interest at ey and learning other things but once the limitations ran their course well i want to learn about the cloud so yes and and move and like so we were talking in our vision and voice panel about recession proofing your business or your career and one of the things that was also brought up is not only Doing stuff to make yourself more valuable in the company. But somebody brought up the point of also knowing when not to stick around, like when it's time to move on.
1: Uh, oh, so. I, that's one of these pieces of advice I think I've probably tried to learn in the last year. Mm-hmm. I read something about like one of the best things you can do actually is learn when it's time to let go of relationships, places, things. And it was kind of eye opening, even though it sounds so simple. But what you were saying is kind of like, your value statement, or finding like what you can bring. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want to be different for the sake of being different, but at the same time, I was like, "Well, what everyone's doing, just like there's, I need more." Um, mm-hmm. Like cybersecurity is great, but why stop there and just settle and stop when I also clearly have this very similar passion and see a huge, in my mind, in my understanding, there's this huge overlap in relation to true disaster management and i never had even heard of a chief security officer that included more than just cyber mm-hmm. and information like this is something that's actually relatively new to me and it's but i'm also the kind of person where i'm like i need to go call my college of disaster management because originally when i started doing this before i even got into the cyber degree they were like but why they're like 99% of people that go through this are doing it to get promoted in either a fire department or a police department or FEMA. And they are like, is that your plan? And I said, no, <laughs> no, it's not. And I had some friends too, cause I was considering at the time that I want to try to commission in the air force. And they're like, well, if you get your degree in disaster management, like you're not an Intel analyst or an Intel officer. And I'm like, yeah, I get that that two plus two is an equaling four here, but I'll figure it out. Like, I know this doesn't make sense yet, but you know, when I did do my two degrees and I was in the middle of them, like my heart was in my disaster management one in the sense that like it, I think it forced me to ch- to think critically. Mm-hmm. It, it gave me something very different because of the different way it was taught and the different things that we're learning. As much as I loved my cyber degree, where I would learn things like Python, and it totally changed my mind about how applications and everything in the world work. Mm-hmm. Um, it it didn't. It was a different kind of skill set, right? I mean, I never had to read a book that like. I don't want to say made me cry but gave me the same emotional response as in the disaster management where like one of my favorite books is is about a survivor of hiroshima and i don't know about you but when i learned about hiroshima through all of the ways i guess between my education like growing up in in school and any other ways i didn't even realize people survived i thought where mm-hmm. where you know it was dropped was where everyone died so then to find out that certain people lived or survive and then have radiation poisoning and how awful, like imagine surviving Hiroshima and then dying of radiation poisoning. And they don't even know what radiation is really, because this was the first bomb of its type. Right. And, you know, to read that book, it changed something in me. And, and I like the guy and it's based, it's it's a true diary. And of course, reading them when he gets mad that Japan is running to America and he's like, I want them to die. You're like, man, I really liked this guy up until this point. (laughs) Right. Well I,
0: I think that all ties back. I mean, right you said you're a people person and so it's possible. I I don't uh know the ins and outs of that degree program, but it's it's easy to imagine that a cybersecurity degree sort of tunnels inward into systems and and how they connect whereas disaster management, right, is is sort of you have to if there is a disaster you have to organize along a larger macro view and if you and you brought up hospitals and ransomware I mean this is a way for sure of connecting people and state to you know these larger things I mean I I, it feels like very prescient that you thought of those things and we colonial pipeline wasn't a disaster but something on a on a grid network could very well be you know things like that
1: well and it's interesting now with both views and perspectives I have right When a large company, regardless of sector, you know, in the news comes out about a cyber breach or attack, um, I feel like I'm realizing more so that people between the media and just, you know, people are, they're not as um, empathetic. But if you hear that a hospital, for example, in Florida got hit by a hurricane, people Mm -hmm. are empathetic. Um, Meanwhile, I mean, disaster management way predates cybersecurity and so, you know, if anything, like I'm not saying we should all be angry, but you know, we obviously should have everything from basic fire drills to if you know you're gonna have a hurricane season, we're in cybersecurity we we say not if but when, but right. we really we don't have a cybersecurity season. We don't have a tax cyber I mean, we have a cybersecurity <laughs> right. like tax right. season, like we might get certain types of trends or threats in certain sectors, but really it, it could be any time, any day but you know if you're a hospital and you know or or you're a company or business or you live because it's not just companies it's everything and to the personal and up to the government and organization level that you know you need to know the threats in your environment Mm -hmm. um you need to know where you live and what's in your house and you know so i i think there is this empathy but also like okay like come on guys like none of this is really new
0: right you bring up a good point. Let me let me take a turn here, and we're going to come back to um, where you are now. But uh, I can't remember—is this your first RSA? It is. So keen to understand, uh, what's been your favorite part so far?
1: I want to I want to go back and just say this one thing, which is when I went to EY. Uh, I think it was my first year. I don't feel like anyone warned me or even told me about RSA. And it was like, I log in because I was working from home even before the pandemic. And all of a sudden it was like everybody that really mattered, like partner and maybe senior manager Mm -hmm. and maybe like a few managers was gone. It was like Armageddon. (laughs) And I was like, where did, what do you mean? Where did they go? Like, what do you, all at the same time. And so I like, think I started to almost like idolize RSA. Like, oh my God, when I get to go to RSA, like I'm, I guess I'm a, like, I'm a, a, an important enough person in cybersecurity and in a way it became, again, this is like one of those like things you tell yourself maybe, Mm -hmm. and you're not even sure if it's true, but like, for me, it's been very true. Um, and so it's been really fun to come network with some of really the, the smartest and, and brightest and, um, I, I'm trying to say, you know, succinct here, but like this morning I'm walking from my hotel to the to the conference mm-hmm. and I just see that someone had something on his his blazer and I just said, hey, you know, I just want to let you know, like that's there. We're just walking like in the street. For all I know, mm-hmm. he doesn't even, he could be someone totally different, not even RSA, but of course he's RSA and of course he's like one of the main vendors and we're talking and next thing we know, we like realize we actually live in the same city and like 10 things later and we we are in very similar circles and it's just like, it's like Disney World for
0: me. <laughs> it's awesome. Um,
1: it's like in uh, Halloween between the vendors. And I'm like, I'm literally like, what is that? Like, oh, what a cool little gizmo gadget. But then I'm also, you know, instead of meeting Minnie and Mickey, I'm meeting like other people I've met on Fireside Chat. And I'm like, I remember your story. I remember we talked. Or, right? hey, that's what you look like. Um, so it's just probably been one of the the, the latest best highlights of my career but you did say what's my favorite part so obviously people that's been a trend year but um i don't know if i could pick uh actually i could i take that back i've had so many great moments here but my my favorite moment sunday night um we did a client peer dinner for with with partners on behalf of optive who's was probably like less than 20 people and while i loved meeting everybody and and even people i i've, I've known now through optive one or two people um i finally got to meet in person hmm I got to invite one of the first CISOs I worked with when I went to EY after the Air Force. And this was like the first, I never even really heard of a CISO while I was in the Air mm-hmm. Force. Like that, you know, you had, you had intel officers or cyber officers. So I got to invite my first CISO that I even got to brief to. And she walked in and she was just like, you're so sophisticated and grown up. and That's awesome. I really never. I remember some people saying like, "You might be a CISO. You might be a CISO one day." You're Ryan. You're going places. And I was like, I don't know why anyone thinks that. Like, I was just happy, like my first few years at UY, just to be still in cyber. <laughs> like, I I don't think I believed in myself. And I know I definitely had enough people that did not believe in me. And I mean, I everything from some people said yeah, I wasn't gonna last a year in the Air Force to whatever couldn't be in cyber because I was a girl. I had some people on my way out even say, you're never going to make it. Like you're just going to fail within the year or two. And so like Sunday night, my my realization was for probably the first time in my life, I know more people believe in me than don't.
0: That is tremendous. I also think, you know, uh, regardless of other people's opinions, that experience is um, a, a validation, right? Because... You connected with somebody at EY in cybersecurity and you work at Optiv now and you are able to invite them and invite them in a, in a genuine way, because that is a a relationship that you have, you know, essentially cultivated for that amount of time. Right. So that, that is, that is a very, that is a great answer to that question. And I'm glad that I did not know that story before.
1: Yeah, no, it was, um, It's also one of those things, right, when I look back to when I met her in early 2018, you know, more context around that was um, I have a a very social, can have a very alpha-like, very extroverted personality. And a lot of the people on that team at the time were like, you know, here I am this like new, kind of gregarious, boisterous, bold, wasn't as refined as I am now. And there was a lot of like pressure. Like I was told, don't f this up. You get one chance. Um, and they were afraid that my personality maybe would even clash with hers. And um, but when we met, she she was actually like, I see so much of myself in you. And I just thought she was really cool, like mm-hmm. really smart, really cool, like you know. And I was just was like very shocked that she after after all this like pressure, like she might not like you, and being very much so like like, warned, like, be on your best behavior, like, whatever it is. And Mm -hmm. I also think that that was a shift because when you think about it, I mean, I worked with all men, not that's a bad thing, but I could see where there was still almost, like, this learning curve. Um, The other women I worked with at the time were very shy, very quiet, very to themselves unless they were a partner.
0: Hard to know also if they were that way intrinsically or if they had internalized all of the nonsense about being quiet
1: well and i think that's again why i was not just for being a woman but being an extroverted woman is something i struggled with in my early part of my career because that's what i was told was the problem and now well when i realize a tiger cannot change it's stripes. <laughs> okay guys like i've tried i can be quiet it freaks people out it's fine um but but um no i and and it just you know i've, I've learned to make it not my my discount or my flaw but to say okay this is who i am obviously i'm not just trying to be a chatty kathy and and actually i would be the first to tell you the best skill you can have is to listen
0: that's awesome yeah i think it's definitely i mean whatever we bring to the table again if you can't change it i mean that is you have to turn it into an asset and even if somebody else outside of you thinks of it as a liability i mean that's not really up to you uh or up to them i mean you just have to use what you have
1: totally agree um and i would say right like why am i here one of the reasons i number one reason i believe in sharing my story is you know maybe one thing i've said or maybe all the things i've said will be part of a survival guide for someone else or even just change the change the perspective of you know i hope to you know i think we're getting there but Women in cybersecurity, or just women really in anything. Um, You know, really not judging a book by its cover and also having more acceptance of just variety.
0: Yeah, I want to touch on, I want to sort of wrap your origin story and experience into a a final point here. So um, you have moved through several different kinds of organizations from military to consultancy. Um, and now adoptive which is a VAR but it strikes me that you working in a in a VAR gives you a certain vantage point you know we, we talked before we started recording that often it, it, probably companies are preoccupied or frustrated or anxious about something but they only live inside of their own culture and the fact that you are interacting with different um, clients and accounts it strikes me that you might have seen some trends or maybe you understand uh you've learned something about the dynamics that make some more successful at tackling sticky problems than others and just curious to see if you've had uh time to metabolize those those different viewpoints
1: if anything i think that's how i would categorize the the last you know five or six years that i've really been out of the air force because um EY and Avanade, I mean, they were both nation- nationwide um, companies, mm-hmm. and I was never tied to a specific sector or industry. Um, and, and even with Optive, like, I get to see so much and, and so many different services as well. So it's it's something I actually prefer, I think, just because I'm – able to see and make those, those connections and, and I think I am like at, at the true heart of this. I'm also, I think a really like an analyst. Mm-hmm. So yeah, thinking about, whoa, okay, we did this project over here in a financial company, but well, we did something very similar um, over here in a manufacturing company, or we did something very different. I wonder if that could like, outside of obviously compliance and regulatory there, I think there is a lot more than people would realize so a really quick example like when i was at ey there was one company they had a very strong uh parent company and the child companies really were kind of at the mercy of the parent company for cybersecurity. but the parent company actually was setting a very like baseline low bar and mm-hmm. one of our clients actually was the child company and they were trying to find a way to enhance their security the parent company politically so to speak was afraid they would make the rest of the company weaker so we got to do a concept of operations. Now, the reason I think we were really good at that was because we had, and that was, did I say, that was an uh, automotive company. Whereas I also got to work on an account for an a media and entertainment company, which was the opposite. The parent company actually was a little bit on the weaker side. They could set the policy, but they really didn't have a strong way of enforcing it. Mm-hmm. So the child companies were kind of kind of got to do what they wanted um and and agree or disagree or have whatever security solution they really believed in and so having that experience when they're two totally different sectors and two totally different kinds of companies but similar you know parent child child uh, restrictions or limitations or just things to complexities um i thought was a really great ability to not even just to work on but to really learn from Mm -hmm. um and so now I love that with the security operations team I've joined um you know somebody wants to be as I mentioned before I think a CISO and maybe even a chief security officer um but let's do this again in five or ten years and see if there's a new (laughs) role I've learned or uh, we've gone you know I I think
0: I think at this rate you're going to make up your own role
1: oh that's interesting but but as someone you know with the plan right now on this direction you know I Um, I think now that I finally believe that it's possible and I could do it and I finally believe I'm smart enough to do this or um, savvy enough, I kind of look at my, okay, what do I know? What do I don't know? What do I need to know? And what I love about what Opportunity Optive has given me is, one, I'm I'm related to the sales team, and a CISO or any leader would probably be sold to, right? So mm-hmm. love the background and interesting perspective I'm learning on this. Um, but also, I write Optive, VAR. There's a number of different you know co-managed sims, so all these different sim providers, and I get to see what challenges different clients may or may not have, what different... SIMs, whether, you know, some clients I've already seen in my short time maybe didn't put in their SIM. They're not they're not maximizing the value on their own SIM because they they're not, you know, going ahead in their own team and you you know, you can only you can lead a horse to water, you can't force it to drink. So we're trying to help, you know, clients there or trying to help clients if they're on one SIM and they want to move to another SIM because now they want to go to the next generation, you know, cloud native SIM, right? Mm-hmm. And so watching the CISOs and their security teams Figure out when the timing is right for that. How to do that? I think is an incredible insight for me
0: 100%. to put
1: into my repertoire as someone who'd love to be a CISO and really, hopefully, like you know, study and and ace the test when those days come. Because um, it, and it's not right. It's not just technology. It's, it's licensing. It's cost. It's um, procurement and and what issues may or may not have, whether due to a, a client onboarding. Um, you know, their own legal department or, I mean, there's just so many factors and my head lives in that complexity. So I'm, I,
0: I mean, I think that you have effectively created your own, um, curriculum.
1: Well, and it's funny cause I don't know if there's a CISO curriculum, but maybe I should start writing these down. <laughs> well,
0: I, and I, well, I guess I want to say that I think it's valuable that you are not sort of stuck in The present. I think you're very much in the present, in that complexity, but you are understanding the value that these things. So let me let me. It'll have in ten years. I think I try to understand the
1: value things will have in five or ten years.
0: Yeah, and it's easy to be like you could get stuck in the present and be like, oh, this this implementation is not going well. But you know, seeing it as an opportunity to be like, well. You know, organizationally, yeah. why is this happening? Versus, I think that's it's ex- a valuable attitude to take to those things.
1: And I don't exactly know where it comes from, but my mother would tell you I started planning my college and my high school graduation and college graduation party before <laughs> I was probably out of middle school. Um, and she would tell you that's the key difference between my brother and I, whereas he planned his high school graduation party like the day or week of his <laughs> high school graduation. Um, so, yeah, I it's another way. I used to have a lot of people tell me I overthought things and I'd be like, what does that mean? I've always thought this way. You don't think this way. And people would either try to label it as anxiety or autism or just in a, with a, some sort of negative light. And it's one of those things too. I'm like, okay, this is actually like helping.
0: This is how I'm wired. It's, it's not. Is yeah, how, yeah, exactly.
1: This is how I'm wired. And, and you know, it, it's got, you know, I, I've had to organize my thoughts and I, uh, I don't, No, for me, one of the struggles is right trying to think about, well, I'd like to be a CISO one day. How do I get there? What does that mean? And I think I finally am at the point where I can't copy or not that I want to, but I can't necessarily follow my story. Won't be the same as, you know, name a CISO, Mm -hmm. you know. And I know there's so many different ways each CISO got there on their own, too, but you know, it's not one that has as clear cut steps. And so I'm very thankful that everyone who's given me some insight and direction, and then I can kind of compile that. It's kind of, I'm kind of a sim and I'm taking everyone's advice and (laughs) interests and stories actually. And then like, I'm, you know, triaging and tuning and, you know, alerting, so to speak. I say that with air quotes, um, you know, and, and defining my roadmap and path forward. So, well,
0: that is, that is a, um, a brilliant place to finish. Um, Brian, thank you so much for the time. I know you're extremely busy. Uh, I'm, Thrilled that uh, you'll get to come to more RSAs, but thank you very much for your time today.
1: I appreciate it. Thanks so much. And uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime.
0: Welcome back, Ryan.
1: (laughs) A long time.
0: Yeah. So it's been just over a week since RSA, but um, I wanted to give you this opportunity. You reached back out. I appreciate the moment of reflection. Um, and you said that upon thinking of one of your answers you wanted to take it a second time because you know you'd incorporated some new insight or some new learning We're all about the continuing uh, reflection here. So I think that the topic was around what had you learned with this being your first RSA or what had you taken away from your experience at the conference and wanted to give you the opportunity to, update your thoughts and and feelings about that experience
1: yeah i um i think when you and i originally met la sorry not last wednesday the wednesday before that it was still in the middle of rsa for me and again my first rsa experience and i don't think i had even begun really my reflection i think Mm -hmm. our rsa uh conversation really prompted or initiated that, that reflection. And I know that this one answer, um, I think as I thought about it after RSA and over the weekend, I did want to kind of add to it. Um, not just, not just for my own reflection, as you can imagine, but also for anyone who's listening, anyone who missed the opportunity to be at RSA this year or has never been Mm -hmm. that, um, as I had shared before that, um, Having first learned of RSA and the conference, not even really sure I learned what it was about initially. Just my first observation was I was working at EY. It was within my first year after being out of the United States Air Force. And everybody that was a partner, a senior manager, maybe even a manager that seemed to be always really busy, really um, important to our cybersecurity practice was there. And in a way, I think I internalized that as a milestone as almost the equivalent of graduating college um, right. with the degree in cyber, um, but as like a career significance of uh, maybe I'm, I'm making a difference, maybe I'm finally doing something that's really important. Um, maybe something about my career has now been validated. And um, I, while well, I am really thankful I had the opportunity to go gone to RSA, meet people, um, just take a lot of that in and Almost really uh, re-energized me. Not not to say that I was like burning out, but it just it was just such an awesome experience. But I realized, in a way, not just not to be disappointed, but you know, I, I want to make sure I convey that I I realized more than ever how important everyone who wakes up and, and plays a part in cybersecurity, whether you've been doing this for thirty years or you're brand new. Um, we all play an important role. Um, Whether you ever get to go to RSA or not is not what dictates your significance in what you do in cybersecurity. Um, I was amazed. I I don't know if anyone actually has the exact number of how many people attended RSA. I've heard Mm -hmm. 20,000 or 40,000 people. um, And I know a lot of people in blogs and media will talk about there's always a job shortage, a job shortage, but they never talk about how big this career and profession is. And again, I know for sure, I know for a fact that there are people who play extremely important roles, whether they are a SOC analyst or directors of some of the biggest organizations that we all use and and need that didn't get to go for whatever reason. For sure. And so again, uh, my reflection that I I wanted to share, my, my afterthought reflection more so is... Just the appreciation I have for everyone that does get up and try to do their best in, in safeguarding the world. Um, honestly, I, I think that's where I am now is I just have more, probably the most appreciation for everyone who has decided to in some way or shape or form, whether cyber found them or they found it, um, whether think, they, whatever their yeah. motivations are. But for being in the cybersecurity profession and fighting the good fight, I, that is my thought.
0: I think that that is a a profound shift in mindset. Um, You're not the only one, I think, who, you know, those conferences have a lot of razzle-dazzle, and they can feel like they've got a lot of import and status around them. But I think it's once you're on the ground and you're talking to everybody, it's a refreshingly democratizing notion that what it did was it expanded your view of the instead of focusing on on the the narrow conference itself, it sort of expanded the aperture of your consideration Absolutely. for the industry.
1: Well, and again, like I said, whether it's the media or college marketing or mm-hmm. anywhere, they're always focusing. And, and I think this is like human nature, not just cyber, but they're focusing on. Well, I think I've heard upwards of almost half a million job vacancies in cybersecurity in like the next five years. and. We never have enough people. We never have enough skill. Um, and then the other side of it is right. We always have all these hacks and, and breaches and hacks and breaches. And uh, we need more laws or we have compliance, etc. We never really focus on. Um, I don't think the message is is ever really on. Wow, we have. I don't even know how. Like I know how many roughly how many jobs mm-hmm. vacant we have. I have no idea. Um, and people, my entire career have always said cybersecurity. The profession is really small. I can't name everybody. I don't know everybody. I don't know if there is someone out there who could possibly know everybody that's in cyber, um, especially everybody that's making a difference, right? That is the number of socks. the number of just... It, it's a global profession. And I'm, again, blown away. And I, I kind of want to be part of that positive messaging of of first of all, there's so many ways into the career field. Um, there's college, there's military, there's boot camps and people who've just naturally somehow stumbled into it um, through their company growing and giving them that opportunity. And however you got here and whatever you're doing, wherever you are, I think I'm just saying like, thank you.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I'm I think glad There's to- I think there's a recognition of what you're saying because I've also seen, and hopefully this will accelerate an increasing number of, scholarships and grants and opportunities for people who you know might not otherwise be able to afford the expo fee or something that they mm-hmm. can gain access to those uh those conferences for, especially for the learning sessions or the or the research sessions
1: that was probably the next big afterthought i realized i think i started to say this before too where i was just so focused on getting to go to rsa from everything i heard i, I don't think i ever really sat down and figured out why or or how I wanted to go. And I had an expo badge, so I did not get to go to the keynotes. And I Mm -hmm. definitely have like a new goal to be able to attend RSA in the capacity that would allow me to hear and learn from more of those keynote sessions. Um, definitely love networking and meeting everybody. And I definitely miss being in person and just nerding out on cyber. But, um, that is, that is my new goal. Um, I don't know if it'll happen next year, but, um, again, it, I just walk away with just such appreciation for everything and everyone who's doing what we do.
0: Great. So, well, yeah. thank you for the reflection.
1: <laughs> My pleasure. I, I hope that, I hope that it helps everyone or anyone who, who considers, you know, what is the value that RSA or, or conferences of the like or events of the like have. Um, and, and I will say too, you know, I, I can't be hundred percent sure, but I also think George from the other people you may have asked or talked to about RSA—I'm not sure if any of them are as quite as—I um, don't know. I, I still get told I'm more on the uh, newer side. I have mm-hmm. ten years in cyber, but uh, you know, turning thirty this year, um, I, I kind of hope that that can shed light to some other people who are whether newer or have been doing this, you know, similar time frame. Um, for sure, I think there's there's value to it for some in some ways. So
0: absolutely great well thank you for reaching back out and thank you for the time today
1: my pleasure thanks
0: that's it for first watch today and a big thanks to my special guest ryan renee rosano first watch is a production of safeguard cyber it's edited by kai Kroghetti with original music by matthias safaletti subscribe to first watch wherever you get your podcasts Thanks for listening, and until next time, stay safe, stay strong.